start doing ministry and start studying and you're not laying in the bed and playing golf three days a week Uh and getting paid for it. Yeah. Real ministry is a lot harder. And you know, when you actually start obeying scripture, I mean, think about it. The King James Bible is not in the scripture and gluttony is yet (laughs) obese guys stand up and preach on the King James Bible. Well, it's easy to carry a King James Bible, but it's not easy to deny your flesh in every area. It's not easy to make the center focus of your heart and life and your greatest pursuit, Jesus. Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and today we have a special guest with us, Brian Edwards. He is one of the three hosts at the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Uh, many of our listeners, you guys have already listened to those interviews with them, and maybe perhaps you're already familiar with their podcast by now, but if not, go check them out, absolutely. But Brian is one of them, and I've, I wanted to have each one of them on individually, because even though I love the group of them, it's fun for people to get to know them more personally one-on-one here. So with all no further ado, Brian, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's been a cool, crisp day here in Virginia and just had dinner with my wife a few minutes ago. And so that's always a win. So I'm doing fantastic and glad to be joining you here on the Church Split podcast. Yeah, it's, I'm really excited to have you on. I've uh, you know been a big fan of the show. Really enjoy what the work you guys do. But the thing is, is that you know, um, as much as we talk I, on this channel, we talk about theology, apologetics. We interview different professionals in their different fields. You know, this particular topic that we're talking about tonight is near and dear to my heart since I was raised as an independent fundamental Baptist, an IFB mm-hmm. for short. And you know, I know you are. Being part of the RFP team, you are definitely uh, engaged in that. So, uh, would you just mind telling us a little bit, uh, a little bit about yourself, how you came, uh, how you came into the IFB, and and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, um, I was born. <laughs> nice. Uh, my mom, my mom actually gave birth to me, and that was my entrance into uh, the Independent Fundamental Baptist movement. Uh, my dad was already a preacher uh, in that movement. Uh, my mom nor my dad had any interaction whatsoever with church growing up. Uh, my mom actually grew up in a home where there was no dad. Uh, her dad disappeared when she was six years old and post wow. that never called or wrote or checked on her or the other siblings. My dad was brought up in a family that he had a good godly grandmother, but no one in his family, immediate family, uh, were Christians. And and my dad says at the point of his conversion, he could not have even quoted the verse, Jesus wept. So my mom had one of the local pastors come by, share the gospel with her family. Well, she wasn't allowed to be in the room because uh, growing up in the foothills of the mountains, children were to be seen and not heard. And, um, and so she knew if she came in and talked and then she would be in trouble. And so she stood around the corner, even as a teenager and listened to what this man shared. And over the course of him sharing, she heard him say the words that uh, God is a father who loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. 
Well, my mom had never known the love of a father. When she heard that, she thought, I have to know this father who would love me so much that he would give his son to die for me. Wow. So my dad and mom started dating, and my dad was kicked out of, this, out of high school in the 11th grade. He couldn't go to school anywhere in the county. He was a troublemaker. My mom said, I want to go to that church because I want to learn about that father who loves me. So they went. Uh, my mom became a Christian first. My dad continued to run, but under conviction, uh, received Christ. And that was just a mountain church. They weren't really a part of any greater agenda or any greater movement. They were independent Baptists by virtue of the fact that they weren't affiliated with any denomination. But they had all the camp meetings and the revivals and all those kind of things. But back in that day, it was more mountain-type ministry than it was this movement that independent fundamentalism has come to represent. So my dad was already preaching. My mom and dad were fully invested in the Independent Baptist Church. When I was born, my daddy was starting his first uh, pastorate. So I was born a pastor's kid. I was born uh, into the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. Uh, that's where I grew up. Wow. So you were you were born straight into it and stayed in it for a little while. <laughs> uh, all of my life. Hey, this is insane to think about. But a little while back, the, uh, the statewide convention for the state of Virginia asked me to write an article uh, in, their, in their statewide magazine. And in this article, I started thinking about having heard preachers other than independent fundamental Baptist preachers. Do you realize I was late into my 20s, possibly even 30, before I ever heard a single sermon preached by someone who was not an independent fundamental Baptist. Wow. No, that's great. Wow. That's intense. And, and we were in the camp meeting culture. So we were in revivals. My dad was pastoring and, um, you know, I had a serious drug problem. I was drugged to every church service and revival anywhere in the country. And it never stopped. We didn't just have, you know, Preachers' kids who only had to go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then to youth group or the other things going on at the building, they're, they're kind of like diet water. You know, we, <laughs> we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then every other night at revivals. We were attending camp meetings where some weeks I heard almost 50 sermons in a week. Oh, goodness. That's child abuse. And that yeah. was back in the days when you couldn't move. Like I, I, I was afraid to move because my, my mom would say, you're going to get it when church is over. And when she said that, she meant it because she was going to tell my dad and then I was going to get it. And then, you know, there was this one time when I was about 14 and I must've been like talking on the back row. I think there were some girls I was trying to impress and all at once my dad's preaching about Jesus. And then I hear him say, Brian, well, I know there's no character in the Bible named Brian. I didn't even want to look up. But I slowly looked up, and I just see my dad staring at me. And he said, Brian, if you don't know how to behave on the back row, I'm sure you will up here on the front row beside of your mom. So Ooh. I started out walking from the back pew to the front pew. And I've got to be honest, 
by the time I got to the front pew, I was so tiny, I was tripping over the weave in the carpet. Um, it was horrible. But we were in church basically every day of my life, and no one ever asked me, do you want to be a part of this? No one ever asked me, do you want to sing every night of your life? No one ever asked me, you know, do you want to be up late, late at night and then get in trouble every day in school for sleeping? Do you, do you want to be a part of this? No one ever asked me. It was just expected of me. And so my whole life was spent around preachers and evangelists. And, you know, I didn't think heroes had capes and, you know, leap tall buildings and a single bound. And I thought heroes were overweight and drove four-door Lincolns. That's what I thought. Um, Truth bomb. It was it was really a confusing situation, uh, but that was pretty much my upbringing. So you were so you were very entrenched in this, and you know, I, when I think of a lot of the kids, because I we'd have evangelists come through, and it didn't dawn on me until I was an adult what that was doing to the families, right? Like you're just running every night; those kids are at a church every night. They're hearing the same message every night. It's like. Mm-hmm. And those kids aren't growing. They have no fellowship. It's just sit down, shut up, look pretty, and behave while you're here. So that way we look good and possibly could get a good love offering. Um, and, you know, that might be kind of a, I don't know what the word to say, a negative, a overly negative view. But it can impact kids. So this was something you were entrenched in. And um, I know you said your dad was a well-known preacher in the IFB as well. So you also probably had that baggage coming along with of expectation. Mm-hmm. So when it all kind of came to, because being raised in this, and you were you mentioning like 14 and stuff, and you said you didn't even hear another preacher until you were in your almost 30s, probably thereabouts. So well, not another preacher, but someone not in the IFB. Anyway. So what was your journey out of it? Like, what were there red flags along the way that you didn't agree with? Why, you know, why did you stay in it so long? Things like that. Like, what, what kind of started getting you to kind of shift? Oh, because there's a lot of weight to it when you're that invested in that group. Well, you know, the scripture says, train up a child in the way they should go. They're going regardless of how you train them up. They're going to go in the That's way you've shown them. You need to show them the way they should go. I basically had no discipleship. Now, my dad is a great man. He's an amazing preacher. That's the thing that always set him apart. He actually preached the scripture. But because we were in those camp meetings, that exposed me to all of the nonsense. I had no discipleship whatsoever. I was hearing my dad's best sermons repeatedly. I would actually, for fun, sit on the back row and kind of silently preach the, 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 the sermons ahead of him. Oh, that's gold. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, in revivals like that, the preachers aren't preaching for the people. They're preaching for other preachers because the goal is to say something so good that you'll be booked for a revival meeting. Oh, that's a good and one. So that's basically what you're doing is trying to bring your A-game for preachers so that the preachers are impressed. So then you get more revival meetings. Um, that's the way that culture works. So I never really heard line upon line, precept upon precept preaching. What I heard was, you know, 
a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Oof. You know, Krispy Kreme donuts are great, but when that's your consistent diet, there's really there's really no nourishment in that. Yeah, exactly. There's there's really nothing that allows you to grow. So I didn't I didn't want to be in ministry. I didn't even want to be in the church. Like I skipped all of my story. As a as a teenager, I started rebelling against everything basically. Uh, I saw and experienced so much in the independent fundamental movement that I never understood. But I didn't know to question it because it was normal. The abnormal was normal. People running around screaming, running around the building with American flags and, you know, climbing on pews and jumping on top of pulpits and all that kind of stuff. It was normal. It was like cereal with milk. It was just the way you eat it. It's just the common thing. Wow. So I never thought to question, is this normal or not? What I did think was, this is insane. And, uh, and then I also thought this. People in the church are horribly judgmental because their expectations for me was higher than their expectations for their own children. So I would get in trouble and I would be talking to the deacon's kid. The deacon's kid um, gets to walk out of the building, get in the car and go home and everything's fine. I'm the one who gets punished again. I'm the one who has had the church people judge me yet again. Because my dad was the preacher, the evangelist, there's this expectation that I was perfect. Well, I was never quite good enough, whether we were practicing singing or whether we were living life. I just never felt like I was good enough. Then it was through the church that uh, um, it was loosely connected. It didn't happen in the building, but um, I was actually abused as an eight-year-old. There was so much that had happened that, that I really couldn't reconcile. I really couldn't make sense of any of it. And um, so as a teenager, I started to rebel. I was out to prove to people that being the pastor's kid didn't mean that I was perfect. Being the evangelist kid didn't mean that I was perfect, and I was going to prove it. I mean, it was some things, you know, this is hilarious, and then it's not. I'll never forget this youth meeting where I got in big trouble because I actually said something louder than I meant to. But this this youth there, pastor was up this youth pastor was up preaching, and you know basically um, they were they were preaching the hell out of us, but preaching us into hell, so we would be afraid, um, and you would get saved again. That was kind of the goal, of course. And in the message, he said he made this statement. He said, "Don't sin, you won't enjoy it." And I said. That's a lie. <laughs> oh, and uh, I said it in an IFB. You, sir, are a rebel. Well, I was, and I got kicked out of a lot of schools, and um, and got in trouble a lot. And my my plan was, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. Like I want to be a rebel. I want to be away from this. So I had no plans of ever being in ministry. But the Holy Spirit pursued me. 
and he didn't stop pursuing me. He, he chased me down. That's awesome. And so the night I answered the call into ministry, I actually said, hey, I believe God's calling me to preach. And if he's not, I'll quit. But if he is, I'll just keep preaching. That was my confession to the church congregation that night. Well, that's been 30 years ago, and he hasn't told me to stop. Uh, so what happened was I planted a church with six people. Six people quickly grew to over 500 people in this small Virginia town. Whoa. By, the way, I, by the way, I was killing myself, killing my marriage, killing everything, because I'm a workaholic. I have no hobbies. I just work all the time. And we were having over 500 people, and I didn't even have a secretary. <laughs> yeah, so, you wouldn't have any time. Oh, yeah. So, But it was an independent Baptist church. So here's what I did. I attempted each week to recreate the camp meeting culture, the revival culture, because that's all I knew. That's all you knew, yeah. I didn't study the Bible so that the Bible would shape my doctrinal position. I studied the Bible, and my doctrinal position shaped my view of the Bible. So I just, I was a phonograph. I was just repeating what had been spoken into my speakers, my ears. I, I wasn't doing it to be misleading or anything else. I was just basically preaching what I knew. Um, and, and yet it was after leading this church that was growing like crazy, everybody would have said I was successful. Hey, by the way, I got my Lincoln. Uh, hey. <laughs> and uh, nice. it was burgundy with white leather interior. Okay. All right, you're balling. <laughs> oh, yeah. It didn't even bounce on the bumps. It floated. Oh, glory. Like <laughs> oh, it was. It was. And uh, my wife would tell me how ridiculous I looked. You're 28 years old driving a Lincoln. What are you doing? Like, I'm being, I'm being a, a preacher. preacher. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jinx. Jinx. Ah, got me. <laughs> but um, so... The church was growing like crazy, and people often ask me, because I was one of the first guys that was leading a larger independent Baptist church that was preaching revivals all over the country, I was one of the first guys to walk away from fundamentalism. Um, people ask me, why did you? And I tell them, <laughs> I read the Bible. <laughs> Oof. Big oof, as the kids would I started, say. I started reading the Bible. I was reading through the Gospels. And I was confronted by the reality, I don't look like Jesus. I don't sound like Jesus. I'm not a leader like Jesus. Why am I preaching this? That's not what Jesus did. Why am I preaching this? That's not what Jesus said. Why am I not preaching this? Jesus did say that. Why is this not a big deal in my life? Because it was so big that Jesus took time out of his three-and-a-half-year ministry to actually make sure this made it in the book. Um, and then I read on into the gospel, uh, the epistles. My whole world started getting turned upside down. So I thought everybody would be just as excited as I was about what God was doing in my life. Oops. 
Yep. So I started sharing with my friends, hey, you won't believe what God's showing me. What about this? What about this? For example, I asked the question, why are we wearing suits? Jesus was homeless, and the common people received him gladly. Like, like he wasn't punishing one of the disciples by making them carry a wardrobe. Like, well, Thomas, you doubted this week. It's your turn. And Peter's <laughs> like, well, I'm glad it's not me this week. You know, they weren't lugging around his wardrobe so he could look like a lawyer when he spoke to the people. Jesus was homeless. By the way, it was so insulting when people thought I stopped wearing a suit because contemporary guys were doing that. I stopped wearing a suit because Jesus didn't wear a suit. I fail at so many of the things he says I'm supposed to do that I don't need to add things to the list. Oh. So, so I started reading the Bible. I started questioning these things. And guess what? This is amazing. I became like some kind of magical Houdini because I made all of the revival meetings disappear out of my date book. Oh, you committed magic. <laughs> yeah, so I started getting called and, you know, we're not going to be able to have you. Um, sorry, we double booked again. And uh, yeah, I just started hearing all the lies and the excuses. But it all came, we had our moment at the OK Corral. As a matter of fact, the Sunday I walked to the pulpit, there should have been, you know, like in the background, uh, like the, I can't whistle great, especially into a microphone. But I stepped up, and this is what I said to the church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I've preached that's not in the Bible. I'm sorry for the things that are in the Bible that I haven't preached. God's been changing my life. I have, I have to submit to this. And I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't know where the journey is going to end. And I'm sure there's some of you that won't make the journey with us, but I don't have a choice. I have to do this. Um, this is what God's shown me in his word. And before I die, I want to be biblical. And over the next three and a half years, over 300 people walked away. And everything that I said I believed was tried. But when something is a matter of conviction and not convenience, you don't have an option. That'll preach. <laughs> uh, no, that, uh, you know, that there's so many things of that that I'm like, I connect to that so much. But um, like when I started getting out of it, there was so many things when I kept asking questions, just going, why do we do that? Like suits, same thing. You know, why do we do this? Well, because they gave me all the same reasons. And I remember doing this similar thing where it was like, when I ditched a lot of that stuff and I started changing my positions, I was told all the time, it's just because I wanted to be worldly like all the other young millennial pastors. And the more I was like, no, I just, I don't see this in the Bible. And what was funny is how many times I talked to people who said, no, no, you're rejecting God's way. I'm like, show me chapter and verse. And they, of course they can't. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a jerk to you, but if you can't back it up, then you aren't holding a biblical view. You're holding an opinion view.
And, mm-hmm. you know, we, I, we went back and forth on some, certain things rocked my world, like the appearance of evil, what the Bible really meant by that, all the things that they used to control me. I started looking into it and I was, we were first married, my wife and I, and I was already kind of like, I don't think I'm buying this, but I don't have any good reason why not yet. <laughs> and then the more, <laughs> but I was like, but I know God's word is, is true. So the more I looked into it, the more I realized it actually challenged me more. And that's what's funny, because I think that you reject IFB because it's easier. It's like, no, it's easier to because I'm not trying to please a bunch of people. But now it's harder because I'm now seeing the real standard, and which is you know following the grace of God and seeing his standards. And that completely changed my life. So uh, that that's powerful there, Brian. Um, well, it's definitely harder because when you actually start doing ministry and start studying, and you're not laying in the bed and playing golf three days a week Uh-oh. and getting paid for it. Yeah, real ministry is a lot harder. And, you know, when you actually start obeying Scripture, I mean, think about it. The King James Bible is not in the Scripture, and gluttony is. Yet, <laughs> obese guys stand up and preach on the King James Bible. Well, it's easy to carry a King James Bible but it's not easy to deny your flesh in every area. It's not easy to make the center focus of your heart and life and your greatest pursuit, Jesus. None of that is easy. And, and by the way, all of you millennial guys that are that are coming out of fundamentalism, I want to know why I hadn't been getting Christmas cards. Because I'm like, I'm like one of the first guys <laughs> that stepped out and took all the arrows and had a nervous breakdown so all of you guys could have cool hair and slim fit shirts and beards and not have to be independent fundamental Baptist. And I hadn't got a gift card to a restaurant or a Christmas card or anything, man. You're slacking. I mean, I'll send, I mean, I'll send you a card, but I mean, I, I don't know. See, I didn't know who you were, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, the, uh, it's so funny that you say that because I was one of the, I, I, in my youth group, I was considered kind of the rebel kid. And I was constantly put like, it was literally when I was like, guys, I think God wants me to preach. And I was not going to be a pastor. I was convinced I wasn't going to be a pastor. In fact, I was going to make, I was going to I wanted to be a music teacher. And it was one of those things where God called me and I knew what I had to do. The church did not take me seriously because like, well, this kid's got, does a cat kids act together. And to this day, many of them won't take, don't take me seriously. And it was, and I took, uh, when I took so much, like when I stepped out and I made it public, it, oh my word, it took so much. And then when I passed her to church, the church didn't know if it wanted to be a modern church or an indie fundy church. It was half the church was one way, half the church was the other. They had certain things that were, they were King James only, but then they did praise and worship music. Uh, people would come up in jeans, but yet they would mm. require, it, it was just, it didn't know, they didn't know where, what side of the fence they wanted to be on. And I remember when I, they found out just my stance on alcohol, for example, which is the well, I would argue it's the biblical stance. You can't, you know, not to get drunk, but you, you not know, to be to, drunk. Yeah, not to be drunk is what the biblical stance is. Um, and oh my word, it was weeks, and for no other word for it was hell. My like my mother-in-law was dying of cancer at the time, and my wife is up in Seattle taking care of her dying mother, and people are having a fit because of my stance on this when I literally submitted it with my doctrinal statement. Mm. Uh, when they and literally, and the, they asked me the question, I answered honestly. They still hired me, but then had a fit. So make that make sense. But anyway. By the way, my feelings aren't hurt that you said you didn't know who I was. But the thing I don't understand is no one also can identify the first flake in an avalanche. So, 
I, I mean, just <laughs> just because you know you you were you were just getting in on the avalanche of the movement that had been started. <laughs> you were all the way way at the bottom of it, and you were the one who started the whole thing. Like right, when, right. When the sound first started shaking, you were the first snowflake that let that let loose, and then everyone yes, else followed. Yes. You're yeah. a trendsetter. It's cool. And you're not even you're not even acknowledging that. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, Brian. I, I was wearing so... jeans to preach in when Wranglers were still in style, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> were Wranglers ever in style? <laughs> no, I never owned any. I, that's just the brand that came to my mind. Oh man. Yeah, I was born in '91, bro. So, uh, yeah, you probably did leave that log before I was even. A twinkle in the, okay. I'm not going to insult your age, but uh, I'll actually respect my elders. So, um, oh man. Oh no. So anyway, oh, uh, you were raising it. And what was, so you left and uh, you said you got attacked when you started leaving. What were the things that made you kind of go, huh, this isn't quite right. I think JC called it his huh moment. So no, no, it's Ethan. Never mind. You don't even know him. Continue. <laughs> Yeah, he's just another snowflake in the avalanche. Um, I think I think there were a lot of different things. For example, things that weren't in the Bible. The words "old time way" never appear in the Bible. The words "old time religion" never appear in the Bible. Um, I had an issue with that because all of these guys were preaching. You know, you've got to be in the old time way. You've got to love the old time religion. And then they would use this verse, stand in the ways and seek and ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way and walk therein, and you'll find rest for your soul. As if that Old Testament writer was thinking about the independent fundamental Baptist church in the Bible Belt. Oh, it was a prophecy. Did you know that? <laughs> Uh, the other, you know, just multiple things started getting me. Like, I don't even know where to start. Some of the big ones, um, the independent Baptist, they, they don't understand the difference between Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. They just don't, they don't get it. Um, and so here's, there, there's the preaching of salvation by grace through faith, but, but then their soteriology gets completely messed up because after you're saved, you're going to need to be saved again because you have doubt. Well, what you're doubting is yourself. You're not, oh, exactly. you're not trusting the sufficiency of Christ for your salvation. I doubt me every single day, but Jesus is sufficient. Well, there is no real teaching that Jesus is sufficient for your continual salvation until the day of redemption. So soteriology is completely messed up, in my opinion, because of the preaching that leads people to doubt and reconversion. Well, exactly. I, I mean, how many kids have said that prayer a hundred times at night? Uh, as teenagers and stuff, God, please save me. God, please save me. All out of doubt. It's, it's fear-based, really. Yeah. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I need to be saved. I lusted after that girl in, in Gauchos. Um, <laughs> exactly. Said nobody ever. <laughs> nobody ever prayed that prayer. <laughs> uh, the focus on the exterior and not the interior. Uh-oh. And there's Bible right there. For example, you know, clean up on the outside, look like a Christian, 
and 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 then you know there's real no, there's really no discipleship toward life change inwardly um then then other things started really concerning me for example independent baptist pastors always refer to the church as my people uh, you'll never hear a hope church pastor say that because the church is not our people jesus said if my people which are called by my name well once i started unpacking that they a lot of people truly are the pastor's people and that's why he feels he has every right to manipulate them for his own good another thing that got me was the degree of spiritual adultery that i saw in the church as pastors commit adultery with the bride of christ uh-oh because christ glory is given from the church the church is to glorify him and so the bride of Christ exists for Christ alone. But in the independent Baptist church, the pastor becomes the center focus of everything, and the church rallies around that pastor. And you can see their egos swell. Um, things like that really started to concern me. But it was multiple other things. Um, it's preaching things as fact that the Bible never calls fact. Um, it's Paul's pastoral model. We we didn't have elders in the church. There was there That's was true. one pastor, and that one pastor had authority over everything and everyone. And if you questioned him, you were likely in danger of hellfire. In fact, if you that you had elders in your church, they they called it unbiblical or liberal or some other thing. I remember that be, be elders being preached against, and Paul has them in his church. Right. And then there was just there was just a sense of as I read the scripture, where I am is just not right. I was a fraud and a fake on so many levels. There was so much about my life that wasn't right. Uh, my wife and I hid the fact that our marriage was struggling. We didn't know how to be married. No one had ever discipled us to know how to be married. But on Sunday, we could sure put on a great performance, and we didn't feel we had the freedom to tell anyone. It was things like this. When I would go to preach a revival, things were talked about like the King James Bible, wearing a suit, um, things like that. I even had guys ask me if my wife wore pants. You know what? No one ever asked me, how much have you studied so that you're going to be bringing fresh bread this week for the people of God? How much have you prayed in preparation of this? Have you looked at pornography this week? Where are you in your walk with Jesus? Are you qualified to preach anything called a revival? No one ever asked me the deeper spiritual questions that they should have been asking. So to be honest with you, there, there's a multiplicity of reasons that caused me to lose all confidence in the independent fundamental movement. That, yeah, it's it's all surface level. And that's what my wife and I had talked about that so many times. I'm like, it was all surface level for so long. And I had so many deep-seated issues from years of various different situations I was raised in. And, you know, I didn't realize I had those deep-seated issues because I could put on a show. 
You know, I was, uh, I was a pretty good violinist. I am a pretty good violinist. So go up there, play. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, fun fact for you. Yeah, that was a painful ride. But my teacher was brutal. Well, the second teacher, first teacher was nice. But anyway, uh, but, you know, I could play violin and I could put on a suit and clean up. And I could smile and I could say, God bless you. And I had my King James Bible and I could pull a verse out of context and preach my opinion too. And, you know, it was over time, same, where it was just like, okay, these, this is all service levels. And I had more skeletons in my closet than I even wanted to count at the time. I had anger. I had bitterness. I had all these certain things. But that show was good. And it was looking in the mirror and realizing the fact that, son, you are a sinner. You are a monster uh, by your sin. And it's actually because you have been faking it this whole time. I remember when I first surrendered, uh, really surrendered to Jesus. Like, not just to say to surrender to preach, but I mean, changed my entire perspective of how, of how this worked. I was like, I, I did the whole thing where I was like, Lord, I just need you to speak to me. I opened the book of John because I knew that was about Jesus <laughs> quite a bit. And it just happened to land on John 14, which talks about your, your hope, you know, the, the place that's being prepared and asking anything in my name. And as I poured over, I could not get enough. I read it through over and over to see the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then I was going, I have been so critical, so judgmental. I, a friend of mine went to a non-denominational church, and I kept telling him he needed to get right with God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, little did I know, my friend was probably in a better relationship than I was. Uh, there's so many things like that. So, uh, so yeah, all those little things that you're mentioning, uh, you know, these, uh, that what they would call them higher standards, uh, I would call the, I would actually call blatant lies by man. And, you know, it's, it's surface level stuff. And, you know, I promised I would never let that happen. So to my family, once I realized what I was doing, but again, it's all I knew. Well, I actually had a guy in the uh, independent fundamental movement. I won't call him by name. This is what he said to me a while back. He said, I know our standards are above the Bible, but we're fine with that. How in the world can you think that you have standards somehow above God's holy word. I've never heard anyone actually admit it, that they were holding it yeah, above. It, right. It was it was a pretty powerful moment. By the way, I can tell that you grew up in a completely different circle than we did because you said you played the violin. Um, where we were, people played the fiddle. Oh. <laughs> hey, by the way, do you know the difference between a fiddle and a violin? It's a fiddle Monday through Saturday, and it's a, a violin on Sunday, isn't it? No, I think the difference is about the difference between a skunk and a polecat. I don't know that there really is a difference, but <laughs> I think it's just wherever you're from. I, uh, I was told by one pastor, he's like, oh, so you play the fiddle? I was like, no, I play the violin. He's like, no, it's a fiddle Monday through Saturday, and then it's a violin on Sunday. I was like, oh, okay. I, uh, I know I'm a classical violinist, so I did the Vivaldi and Bach and Mozart, Ooh. and I did the very hoity-toity stuff. And then I learned how to fiddle a little bit, but I'm too rigidly trained, and there's a very different demeanor to it. Uh, well, a, a little while back, you would have loved this. I actually, I found out what it was like to eat ice cream and the cone all at the same time. Like the best of both worlds. Okay. Um, my wife as a surprise, took me to Washington, D.C., uh, to the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts, which has multiple 
type opera halls. Uh, mm. And that night, Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers, which play bluegrass, performed with the National Symphony Orchestra. What? It was so amazing. I don't even have words to describe it. I feel like those were two opposites. Is that like musical blasphemy, but somehow created something amazing? I don't, I don't know. How... Oh no. It was something <laughs> absolutely, it was something absolutely beautiful. I'll tell you what it was like. We have a local donut shop here and they have something called a cronut. They actually took a glazed donut and mixed it with a croissant. And so what you have are the layers of a croissant and the taste and the glaze of a donut and all that glaze settles in all of those layers. And I never dreamed that a croissant and a donut having a baby would result in something so amazing. It was more like that. Oh, okay. So, so a heart attack. <laughs> no, it was great. <laughs> Sorry, I keep making negative connotations. That actually sounds amazing. I would, yeah, that's, I'd be down for that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So, um, wow, you got completely got me trailed off. Now I'm like, Ooh, let's talk about music. I'm like, no, we're here for something else. Uh, but so, all right. So there's all these kind of, I would almost call cracks in the armor. And it's right when you started seeing that the, the, when the rubber met the road, this wasn't working. And it also didn't line up with the text that we say is our authority, even the King James Bible itself. Um, hallowed be its name. But um, so <laughs> sorry for I, I tend to be sarcastic anyway. But the um, so you kind of sort of shifting out. Now, when did you actually shift out and what did that look like for you and your family? OK. Um, initially, uh, for the first time ever, my dad and I really started having tense conversations um, now, my dad now pursues truth over tradition. And, That's awesome um, to hear. He has taken, he's taken more attacks than any one man I know. By the way, he would be a great interview on your podcast at some point. Hook he's a cool up. guy. He's a cool guy, Will. But my dad has been banned from all these statewide meetings that he used to preach. Uh, people boycott him. I can show you um, videos where he guys actually preach and call him by name uh, for people to avoid him. Whoa. Um, but, but initially, my dad would say, you know, Brian, you just need to come back in this direction a little bit. Like, if you'll just come back this way just a little bit, uh, you know, you don't have to go so far. You don't have to go so extreme. I was pursuing the scripture. Well, what initially happened, though, I didn't know anything other than independent fundamentalism. And so when people would hear me talking about what God was doing in my heart, they would say, oh, you need to go to this conference because you sound a lot like this guy, Andy Stanley. Or, or the church you're trying to describe, you sound like, um, I don't know, Willow Creek or just whoever. And so what happened initially was I went from one guardrail where I was grinding the right side of my car on the guardrail to initially going over and grinding the left side of my car on the left guardrail. Pendulum swings. Yeah, because I really didn't understand. But over time, as we, we pursued being biblical, our goal was to never be trendy. That's why I get cracked up when these guys call me trendy. I have sermon series where I talked about the fact that we're not trying to be cool. We're trying to be biblical. Right. Um, 
But over time, what happened was God's word started governing uh, our actions and operations. For example, uh, I'll give you a little Hope Church, a little Hope Church lingo. Okay. We believe, uh, we believe that theology always drives philosophy, and then philosophy drives methodology. Preach. So that's always our order. It begins with the scripture. The scripture shapes and molds our philosophy. And then our philosophy is lived out, of, our methodology is lived out of our philosophy. So, um, so for us, that, that impacts and affects every single area. For example, that affects us using a people-first language, that we never refer to any of our buildings as the house of God. Because this building is not the house of God. The people are the house of God. So, you know, we, we read the scripture. Peter p- plainly preached that, that God doesn't dwell in buildings, that we are the temple of God. So that's the theology. Well, then the philosophy is we should never address any brick and mortar structure at any address as the house of God. So we should address the people as the church. So the methodology became a people-first language, and at the start of a Sunday morning, good morning, Hope Church. Not good morning, welcome to Hope Church. Good morning, Hope Church. That's a great Uh, distinction. That's fantastic. Really centering that that ideology. You are the body of Christ. I like it. Continue. Sorry to interrupt. Well, that's played out on so many different fronts. Um, Theology, that in all things, Christ might have the preeminence. The apostles wrote about the Savior of the body, not about themselves. All the preeminence, all the glory, all the honor directed toward Jesus. So from that theology, our philosophy became Jesus is the only celebrity of the church. He is the center focus of it all. Methodology, um, my name was removed from the church sign. Methodology, my picture and my name was removed from all of our materials. Methodology, there were other men who were pastors and shepherds in our local congregation so that the church wasn't a church of Brian Edwards or by Brian Edwards, but it was a church of Jesus Christ. So that's methodology. That's that's pretty much everything. That's you know that's such a powerful message too, and that was one of the things I started getting more and more passionate. Why one of the reasons why I started the church split was because I was like, man, we need to be united under the name of Jesus, not under. Yes. Not under this idea of what's in this. Well, what do we emphasize? What is this building? What is, what about so and so? Because it turned into my the first church split was me, and the other pastor. You know, who, you know, it's the Paul versus Apollos. And I was like, guys, like the whole Paul versus Apollos thing. The point was is neither one but Jesus. And that's what I really started getting to. I was like, we need to find a way to unite under that 
mentality of this isn't my church. It's not Will's church. This is God's church. I have the privilege of being one of the shepherds of this church, you know, uh, but it's still his church. Yes. If you, if you were to ask me the question, what will unite the church? My answer would be the gospel. Now, for example, right now there's all this racial tension in our nation. Oof, yeah, no kidding. The gospel transcends that because Christ has created a new people by the gospel for a new kingdom where every tribe, nation, and tongue will live eternally in absolute, complete unity. That's the message of the gospel. Um, the message of the gospel is it doesn't matter what color, nationality, or ethnicity you are, you find equal standing in the gospel. Hey, by the way, I'll give you a real quick, really ignorant independent Baptist story very quickly. Oh, this is perfect. I love these. I was, um, there were some pictures put on Facebook of a wedding that I'd performed. And, uh, the, the lady who was married, she was white. Her husband, he was black. An independent Baptist pastor online came after me. I'm talking about claws and teeth and fangs. And he said, you know, don't you know the Bible says you're not supposed to be unequally yoked together? Oh, no, he didn't. Yeah, and I, I said, well... You know, if you actually did something unique for an independent Baptist pastor, you would read the verse and realize <laughs> that the last word is, you know, the last phrase is with an unbeliever. They Oops. were both believers. Like they were not being unequally yoked. But, but the gospel is the solution for all of this. The Bible says our fellowship is in the gospel. We will never be one in our preferences. It doesn't bother me that guys want to wear suits. If, if you have the budget for that, and that's what you feel comfortable in, have at it. It doesn't bother me that people like Southern gospel music. Help yourself. It doesn't bother me that people like hymns. It doesn't bother me that people like contemporary Christian music. It doesn't bother me that some people feel comfortable in jeans. It doesn't bother me that you know, some guys have cool hair like yours. And then some guys, you know, like me, we're trying to teach the ones that are left to hold hands. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that there's differences and variation. Our fellowship is not in our preferences. Our fellowship is in the gospel that we believe that the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ and the sinless life of Christ we believe that demands and deserves our unity. And so even when we disagree on our preferences, we agree uh, on the fact that we need to live for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. I couldn't agree more with that statement. That's, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, Brian and I were just talking at dinner. I'm helping, I'm currently helping at another church right now as I seek where the Lord would have me in ministry. So I'm helping a friend of mine, a local pastor who's, we became really good friends and I was helping him in his, in his church. And there are certain things that I definitely prefer not and that, you know, not to, and him and I, and the pastor and I talked about it today, but I told uh, Brian, I was like, how hypocritical would it be 
for me to go, no, pastor, I cannot help you because there are certain things I don't prefer within that fellowship, you know, um, and I can't pull in chapter and verse where you are absolutely committing an atrocity of a sin. And I'm like, I'd be so hypocritical as a church split guy who's uniting the divided body to be like, no, nah, I can't help. And, you know, sometimes it's, and I have to remind myself that too. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm sort of like, oh, that just, that bothers me that I'm like, well, it's not about your preferences. If you're here for the mission, you're here for the mission. And you don't do what I do and have like low opinions. I have very strong opinions, very strong opinions, but people don't go to the church of Will's opinions, you know? So uh, <laughs> as much as that would be great, not really, actually, we need to be going to God's opinions. And that's the whole point of all this. So I, I you know, you kind of, you kind of got right to the unity question, but yeah, that's actually kind of the whole point of what we're doing here. So now, real quick, uh, uh, you know, uh, before we completely come to the close here, but was, would you say that after you guys left and I, I, you were pastoring a church and then you said you lost 300 people on your way out, which I thought is amazing that you went up there and you actually straight up repented before everyone of that. Like, that is not something you see people act out and do. And that just shows real, which is what's funny. Again, if people are saying that you're doing it to be trendy, uh, the amount of attack you get after a situation like that is not something you do to be accepted and cool. Uh, but anyway, that aside, would you say that, because you said you know you and your wife even struggled, would you say that everything started improving after that once you left all that stuff behind you and just started really just putting your nose to the grindstone on what it is to be biblical? Um, I wouldn't say immediately. Uh, by the way, if I can jump back just for a second. Jump around. Um, you know, the one thing I hear more often than anything else from the people who are closest in my life is they just say I'm real. My dad says I tell the truth even when I get a whipping. Um, I'll, I'll be just as real as as someone wants me to be. Uh, by the way, you were talking about a few moments ago, you know, the uh, Church of Will's Opinion. Uh, did you hear about that really rich guy who bought a ship and he, he hired a crew and he set sail looking for deserted islands? So they'd been sailing all over the ocean and finally one day, uh, you know, the guy from up in the crow's nest, he said, land ho, man, the ship was, they were so excited. And so they washed up on the shore, they get up on this Island and all at once, this one guy comes running down the beach, his hair's long down to his knees. His beard is down to his knees. His clothes are rags. He barely has any clothes left on. And the captain gets off of the boat. And he said, I thought this was a deserted Island. And the guy who's there, he said, it is. I'm the only one here. I'm the only one who's been here for years. I haven't seen another human being in years and years and years. And the captain said, you're the only one here? He said, yeah, I'm the only one here. He said, well, then why are there three huts right there on the beach? He said, well, he said, the first hut, he said, that's where I, I go to church. He said, the second hut, that's where I live. He said, the third hut, <laughs> that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> 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 so yeah we can't even satisfy ourselves but that's fantastic that's so, so good. back <laughs> so back to your your question um things over time did start to improve because god's word never returns void it's also so freeing when you walk out of the prison cell of man's opinion um, as an evangelist there were times when we were so fake, 
because we were, my dad, we were traveling 24 different states. So some churches didn't mind makeup and red lipstick and you did, your dresses didn't have to be down to your ankles. And as a kid, I didn't have to wear a tie every night. And then other churches, they had all those rules. And so from week to week, we were great chameleons because we were trying to live up to all the standards. But those standards really had no basis whatsoever because it was just someone's opinion. When you finally realize God's given me his word, I need to strive to live in obedience and and in submission to this. It's actually freeing. Um, That started to change. Then that started to impact uh, my marriage. As a matter of fact, I had an encounter. uh, Adrian Rogers invited me to spend about four days with him and a few other guys right before he died. And he just poured into us. And he gave me this whole speech on me taking care of my wife and letting Jesus take care of his. And it was just such a profound moment. But over time, as we pursued God's word, it's amazing. We outgrew the losses. So everybody, you know, they were so afraid as people were walking out the door and the big givers were walking out the door. And of course, you know, they were letting us know how much they gave and how much we were going to be missing. And Oh, yeah, because it's their church now. They bought it. Absolutely. But we never missed any meals. The lights were never turned off. God grew our church. And when we, when we started, we were one location with about 500 people. And by the end of the year, uh, we should be 11 locations strong and planting more churches all the time and praying that God leads us to new men to plant new churches in, in Michigan and other places around the country. (laughs) Where do you plant it? If only there is a guy in Michigan. I don't know what you plan there, but okay. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, that's actually the cool part right there. It's like, think about it. Like you guys, 11 churches, all preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, not focused on man's opinions, but focused on the work of Christ. Like, you want to change people's lives. People talk about how our culture is going to hell in a handbasket and how all, and, you know, I agree. I look around and I see a lot of the same alarms that other people see. But it's like, you know how you're going to fix that? It's, it's not through, you know, we have a very polarizing election coming up. It's like, it's not going to be through. Oh, really? There's an election. There's an election coming up. Yeah, in case, you know, you probably haven't gotten anything in your mail but uh, or text messages or anything. But, yeah, there's actually a pretty big election. Uh, and so, uh, but when you think about it, uh, you know, it's like, guys, y'all, they all think they're going to fix the culture problems with this next election. I know every four years it's the same thing. The world depends on this election. And it's like, you know, actually, if you learn how to preach the gospel with the same fervor that you have for your political views, it's for the same as you feel about your opinions that you want in church and your preferences. If you preach the gospel with that same amount of fervor, we actually might see our world change. And, you know, 11 churches by the end of this, that is crazy. That's yeah, God, a lot. God is huge. By the way, if the church actually started preaching and believing in the kingdom, we would believe that America is destined to be a temporary kingdom, and there's one kingdom called God's kingdom, and that's the only kingdom that will stand eternally. 
so we would be more concerned about the salvation of sinners than we are the election of a president if we had a right view of kingdom theology. Oh, that'll, yeah, yeah, this kingdom is temporal and his is eternal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and here's, here's another thing. The IFB church has so bought into God and country, you know, that, that the cross and the flag belong on the, belong on the platform side by side. Um, because we're united under both when we're not, uh, we're united under one, the cross of Christ. But I found out this past week, and by the way, I need to get you these numbers so you can share them on your podcast. There are more Christians in the world right now than there have ever been. Wow. We, we don't understand why God is not moving in America, because we're America. We're the center of it all. You know, we, we, if America's not strong, then, then the work of God is crippled. The American church has to be strong. No, the truth is right now, uh, the fastest growing largest church in the world is in Iran, where the gospel's unwelcomed. By the way, I'd like to see us all try to explain this. It's predominantly being led by women. I was just talking to Pastor John about this today. The exact and, same country in the... In, yep. And, and from these Muslim countries, they're in fourth world conditions, and they don't have any means of communicating with, with each other or with one another. Uh, more and more of these Muslim Christians who are dying for the faith are coming out saying that Jesus appeared to them in dreams and Jesus preached, Jesus preached the gospel to them himself. That's why they came to faith in Christ. They had no access to a Bible or a church or anything. Um, we don't have a context for that either. But, you know, China, Africa now is over 50% Christian. Yeah, Africa is exploding right now. South Korea, um, South Korea, they were in the single digits for Christianity just a few years ago. And today there are over 7,000 churches in Seoul, Korea. And think about this. Multiple churches in Seoul, Korea have over a million members each. What? So, <laughs> so we, we look in an American context. Hey, here's the great news. God's church is alive and well. And on our best day, we're just a small fragment of God's global church. He's doing a great work in the world, and I praise him uh, that his kingdom will stand forever. Yeah, do me a favor and send me those numbers later. It's actually uh, a sermon I'm working on for November 22nd. So actually, send me those numbers. Do that. You have my number now. The uh, you know, it's and you're so right. I meant we were talking about that today. It's funny we were talking about Iran, Iran and how all the women were leading it. Me and Pastor John were just talking about that today, and um, you know, and it's because we have such an American, like I said, the God and country thing, and basically the way American Christians see it is there's America. And then there's about 214 not Americas. And that's, <laughs> and that's about it. And we just, all we know about those is that they're not as awesome 
as America. And mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much it. And, you know, uh, my buddy, uh, he's been on the program here, Andrew, he's from Ireland, and he actually has a hissy fit about that all the time. He's like, yeah, no, you guys don't even know geography. You don't even know where I'm at on the map. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that's, you know, that's and that's really what it comes down to is, is really the gospel of Christ. So I guess that kind of answers my, I always had the same closing question, but you already hit it beforehand. But real quick, um, I'm, this might will be my closing question for you. Uh, so even though the church split, we talk about division. We talk about splitting topics. And, you know, sometimes people disagree with me. And actually, that's fine. Uh, as long as we don't major on the minors, that's cool. But my job, my goal here is to approach it from as biblically and consistently as possible uh, on a divided topic. And it's okay. You can you can disagree. And as long as we're united under the fundamentals, that's all I really care about. But uh, with the RFP, you know, you would be probably accused by many of uh, taking a hammer and chisel to the church and destroying it with you know, putting this magnifying glass on these things and complaining about these issues and however people want to word this. How would you say actually that the RFP is helps unite a divided body as opposed to destroy it? Um, I think we're probably still trying to navigate and discover how that's supposed to happen. I think a lot of people assume that we automatically think everyone needs to be like us. And there is no one that we will ever talk about that I see as being a greater sinner than myself. I'm more aware of my sin than I am anyone else's. Every single day I battle lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I think we we come at this from a humble position, regardless of what people think. And we also come at this from a loving position. I believe there are a multitude of independent Baptist people who love Jesus, who belong to Jesus, and they just don't understand that what they've been taught is not biblical theology, and there's freedom waiting for them just on the other side of the bars. Um, and so what I believe the RFP is attempting to do is not say to people, hey, you can't, you know, You can't, well, let me think, let me rephrase this. If you're a Baptist, you can't be right. Or if you're in an independent Baptist church, you can't love Jesus. I think a lot of people believe that's the message, and that's actually not the message. Not even close. It's let's stop stop judging people on the basis of things that aren't scriptural. Let's stop buying into Phariseeism while being consumed by pride uh, let's stop all of this. Let's make God's word and the gospel our center focus, and let's rally around that. So if we can call people to rally around the gospel, if we can call people to repentance, uh, if we can call people to acknowledgement of the things that, that, you know what, this is not in Scripture. I've made a big deal about it. Um, I've actually I've broke fellowship with people over this. I need to go back and mend those fences and fix those relationships I believe the RFP, we're trying to blend, you know, all three of us are cut-ups, and so there's always a lot of humor. By the way, the best thing we ever do for our audience is edit out a lot of that humor. (laughs) But (laughs) there's a lot of humor. At the same time, we are really, really serious about, let me just say it like this, truly uniting around the fundamentals of the faith and not 
all of the amendments and additional fundamentals that have been added to the faith. That, you know, uh, it's funny you say that you edit out your humor too, because I love your guys' humor, but I can't imagine the fact that with how three of you guys, all three of you are, that it's like that. Me and Brian, every time we do a, a video together, like, okay, we got to dial it back if we don't want to edit the snot out of this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, the thing is, is that right there though, is so true where, you know, I, there are so many good people in the IFB as well. And I would never, there's some people who can't stand me right now that I still think are wonderful people. And I'm just like, you just completely misunderstand me. Uh, in fact, even, uh, um, you know, I saw a clip from Fairhaven on IFB preacher clips on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And one of them was somebody I know, uh, one of the, the, these people that was speaking to us in a class. And I actually have huge respect for that teacher because I just really like him as a guy. He really is genuine about his relationship. It's just, you know, he's bought into something that I don't think is accurate. But, you know, it's not about throwing stones. It's about, like you said, I'm not going to judge you on standards that God never gave you. Right. And I think, and the thing is with your show, and I already know because I have friends of mine who listened to your show uh, quite a bit, and they have all walked away growing. People who are almost on, like, losing their faith went to your show and came back to the faith reformed. Wow. Uh, you know, and I know people personally who have, who have experienced this. So one of the things when I think of the RFP, when I see that you guys get attacked, uh, luckily for me, I'm a much, I'm, uh, I was like raised, but I broke out of it at a young, in my very early twenties. So I didn't have like a IFP following and then bro had to deal with the breakaway, mm -hmm. you know? So best part about it is I get to watch the dumpster fire from a distance. But, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that I know though, is that, you know, how you guys are helping is that you guys just help bring people to the faith and unite people around the center gospel part. And, you know, you guys welcome conversations even with people that would disagree with you. And I yes. think that's, that shows the fact that you're like, I'm not in this to sit there and take a hammer to the church. I'm here trying to build it up. Right. So, and, and I, you know, I, I would say, to, and I would say to the people that you're speaking about now, man, we're so grateful for that. To hear that is so absolutely encouraging. You know, I want people to understand that uh, the failures of the church are not, not a reflection on Christ. And what happens so often is, you know, like Peter, when he was trying to, to walk on the water, we get our eyes on the waves. We get our eyes on the wind. By the way, it's always confused me. The Bible says he saw the wind boisterous. How did he see the wind? But <laughs> I guess he saw the result of the wind. But we get our eyes on everything other than Jesus. And anytime we do that, we always start the process of sinking. And I think what people need to learn is to give, give people room to make mistakes, give people margin. Um, the other day I was going down an interstate with, uh, with my two daughters and one is 19 and the other 17. We were driving and uh, we have this interstate in our area it's a main highway. It's a four lane. This road should be illegal. There's wrecks on it all the time because it's incredibly narrow. And beyond the white line, there might be two to three inches of asphalt. And then you're just completely off the road. And I was explaining to my daughters that most of the time, you know, an interstate is not as dangerous because, you know, I said, babies, when you cross over the white line, 
there's still that four to five feet of asphalt on each side of the road so that when you run back, when you run off the road, you can easily get back onto the highway. Well, if you think about it, so often we give people no margin to run out of the road. And all of us are going to run out of the road. All of us need some grace room. And so I would just say to those people, don't, don't, <laughs> don't get your eyes on people and miss the treasure that is Jesus. He's the treasure of the Christian life. I hope we can point people to that on the RFP. And, you know, I think that's a great way to put that. And I think you're right. You know, there, and that there is that mar, that marginal space for error for us to be able to navigate. And it is important. And like you said, don't get stuck on the people, you know, don't make the, don't fall, go into pastor worship here, then do the pendulum swing and fall, do pastor worship here. You know, Christ is the center. So that is, a, that's a great way to put that. Thank you for the encouragement. Um, it, real quick, before we close, is there anything you wanted to add? Anything that was like, oh, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this or uh, did you? Nope. I hope I hope I wasn't too offensive. Uh, I'm a really straightforward kind of honest guy, but thank in the, the same Lord. way, I'll be honest about other people. I'll be honest about myself. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity uh, for for allowing me the privilege to sit down and have this conversation with you. Uh, I'm very grateful. I feel undeserving of honors like this, and so I'm greatly appreciative. Well, uh, you know, your work has helped many. Uh, it's been encouraging to myself, and I know it's been life-changing for others. And, you know, as a, from pastor to pastor, I appreciate the shepherding work you're doing. And, you know, Mr. <laughs> I don't know if I already have 11 churches. I, can I, goodness, I can't imagine. I, I, I was making fun of you all the time for your 40,000 unread emails. Now I understand <laughs> this is so much going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just keep up on. It never stops, man. It never stops. And then, you know, last night, um, I'm still out at, at, you know, 1030 at night. And, um, my 19 year old, she'll be 20. As a matter of fact, next week, um, she called me and she's just the ultimate daddy's girl. Since she was little, I've always called her doodle. And she called me and she said, daddy, I haven't even gotten to see you all day. I just want to get to see you. So, I feel like, you know, man, I'm failing on every front. I'm not responding to all the emails. I'm not responding to all the text. Let's see how many unread texts I have right now. You ready? I, I'm scared, but let's do this. All right, here we go. 648. Good grief. I'm never texting you. <laughs> I have your number, but it's useless. I'll just continue to c communicate with you via the way I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's so when you guys were saying that on the show. I had, uh, I think, I, I don't know. I, I somehow on one social media tried to get in touch with you a while ago, and then I got JC, and I also got Nathan, and then I heard on the show you mentioned something like, "Like that's why I can't get Brian to respond." I was like, "Get these two, but not him." Luckily, we found a way. The when the yeah. yeah. But uh, thank you for this. Um, and for those who are listening or watching this program, don't forget to like and subscribe. Not just to the church split. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, you know, leave your thoughts below. And if this has been encouraging to you, also leave a review for us on audio. But do go to the RFP podcast. Go to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, where you can hear more from Brian and the rest of the guys, and leave them a review. Uh, subscribe to it, and you know, let it, let them encourage you because. We want to unite the body 
under Jesus Christ. We want truth at the center of it. And if, you know what, if we disagree on a few things here and there, it's okay. You know, it's not, Mm -hmm. the church isn't about our preferences. So anyhow, thank you so much, Brian, for being on. I appreciate you coming on. All right. Take care, everyone, and God bless.